Battleline Podcast, Ian Scotto, Chris Peranto. Plenty of things to get to this episode, actually. A lot of news. Before we get into anything, though, of course, hit subscribe wherever you're listening, wherever you're viewing. I have to say the two newest products from Ned, I think, are the two best products they've ever put out. I have to say the hemp infused relief bomb, the uh, brain blend, which is a powerful 750 milligram. And I've been really into nootropics lately. So it was cool to see that they put out something that was a blend of full spectrum hemp and lion's mane, ginseng, ginkgo biloba, uh, all these things that are going to help with your alertness, with your mind. And I think we take a lot of supplements for our body. It's important to take one for your mind as well. Oh, yeah. Hey, you have to. It works hand in hand. That's with me, the physical activity. I can tell you just from the last <laughs> last month, not being as active as I was, I have been. It, it does take a toll on on your on your mind. It takes a toll on your emotions, and which is goes tied into your brain there. Um, so doing stuff to help help, I'd say pump that up, for lack of a better term, with my lack of the English language, um, I, it, it, it does benefit you immensely. And the bomb, I, I've been using the pain relieving bomb since we got it. I mean, I've had a couple months. That stuff is amazing, man. So you got to try that. Get off the icy hot. Get off all that other garbage. Get on that pain relieving bomb. It works tremendously. And for those that want to feel that little. Yeah, you want to feel a little, little, I don't call it menthol. Menthol, but yeah. yeah. There's it, menthol in there. There's yeah, menthol and hemp. And it's, well, there you go. Now you got, now you, if your brain has to feel that to think that it's working, you got it. All right. So pain relieving bombs, tremendous. And then, yeah, you, anything that helps stimulate your mind, guys, will help with everything else. It's all tied in together, physical and emotions, and then intelligence as well. Ian's got the intelligence side. I may have the <laughs> physical side, maybe a little bit, not anymore right now, but it all works well together and it's all tied in together. So you got to try Ned and Ned makes the best stuff on the market, guys. Tremendous stuff. Yeah, we love what they do. And I really think these are the two best products they've ever put out. I love them. So these yeah. products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Ned CBD is cold extracted from the world's purest USDA certified organic hemp in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. Full transparency, Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products and their extraction process, all right there on their site. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with code BATTLELINE. Go to helloned.com slash BATTLELINE or enter the code BATTLELINE at checkout. And as a new customer, you're going to get 15% off when you go to H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash battle line and enter that promo code thank you ned for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy remedy for some of life's most common health issues From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. (laughs) You are now tuned into 
the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on Battle Line Podcast. As I said, plenty to get to. Sometimes we do this show, and uh, I don't know what we're going to get into. In this case, there's too many things uh, that we really can't hit at all. Uh, before we get into that stuff, I was going to say, uh, it, like in bad news, if you've seen the stock market, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. Terrible. And then in uh, just sports news, Mets have clinched the playoffs. Yankees are one game away. Yeah. Um, so that's been exciting to watch. I don't know yeah. if you've been watching more baseball since you're in bed. <laughs> well, I've been watching more everything since I've been in bed the last what two weeks or maybe longer than that. I actually, yeah. Well, because and also I people know I you know, much as I, I'm not into sports as I once was back in the college days when I played. Um, I still love watching the Yankees. It just reminds me of being a kid, you know, watching the Yankees and growing up with the Yankees, Don Mattingly, and even watching with Derek Jeter. I still remember when he was a rookie with Mariano Rivera. And I even have my old Mickey Mantle cards. This my, there's my retirement right there. Uh, but uh, you know, Judge, he, he's he may yeah. he, he may hit Roger Maris. That's to me, that's cool. I like that kind of stuff. And I think the Yankees, as much as all the other professional sports out there, I think the Steinbrenners. I still love that they have that kind of that blue. It is more of a blue collar more than anything. But that no beards, get your haircuts. Hey man, you, you still look like a professional athlete. That I remember watching growing up you know and then of course their arch nemesis the Sox are completely the opposite the Red Sox so I, I still do love it yeah and I have been the Mets well I'll pay attention to the Mets when the Mets and Yankees play in the World Series that's when I love and that it would, remember, it would be it cool to happen. see man well I, that last I would one love they to had see it happen again well I still remember the old sub the Subway Series I think it was back in the 90s yeah it wasn't no, it, was, it was like it was 2000 I believe but, 2000, the, 2002 I'd have right, to look. right that time I remember I was in Omaha and I was still in grad school because I remember watching it in my $150 a month <laughs> apartment there in Omaha. And 2000, that was, 2000. So two, yeah, yeah, it was right there. I was, I was still living in like a 10 by 10 out of a cardboard box apartment with one pot that I would just use every time to cook stuff in and wash it through for the next meal. Um, but yeah, I, that was a, still a tremendous series. And just, that's just cool seeing stuff like that. So yeah, the Mets, I brother, they're not my most unfavorite team until they play the Yankees. Until then, I still love watching the Mets too. They, they're awesome. Yeah, yeah, I was at I was at the game on Friday after uh, the day after I did the Christian Beck interview. So uh, yeah, maybe I mean the Houston Astros, amazing. Atlanta yeah. had head to head with the Mets. Um, but with that, people are probably wondering. This is the first show they're hearing from you post surgery, and how are you holding up? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I mean, it's total knee reconstruction or quadricep reconstruction. What what can you do? I, I really did it right. Tore it well. Um, but guys, I tell you what, pain though, pain. I, I still, have you ever seen the movie Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks, one of the original Tom Hanks movies back in the day where the guy pain, uh, I think his friend hits his head on the, is a drug user and he hits his head on the, on the tub because he's trying to drown himself and Tom Hanks pulls the plug on the tub. The water runs out. He doesn't know that the water runs out. So he hits his head on the tub, trying to submerge his head in there and he hits it. Bam, pain. He goes, pain. Oh, this is a hell of a drug pain. This is awesome. Well, that's how I feel <laughs> after the blocker wore off the spinal tap wore off uh, after doing the surgery, man, I tell you what you would tell about embracing the suck that pain meter. 
you know, the little pain meter at the hospital, those of y'all that aren't watching on YouTube, you can't see it, but you've got the little faces. Yeah. I was at the 10 lemon squeezy sucking. I mean, it was like, I was, ah, wow. I was screaming, but, and, and truly I could say you are not a guy who complains. No. And that's, I, I, I was in my head. I was screaming, but I remember I still, the nurses, I just feel for them. They're working their tails off. And it was like, it wore off about 2 a.m. So at 2.30, I'm trying to see if I can manage it. And at 2.30, I was like, guys, I as pains. And that's how I was. Like, I And I know I was kind of sweating a little bit because of the pain. But I'm being trying to be respectful to them because I know they're probably getting pushed 8 million different directions at 2 in the morning. But I'm like, guys, I cannot manage this pain. Can we try to up my dosage of whatever it was at the time? And, and they did. And for the next eight hours, we just tried to manage it. But it just came down to it where... I remember my wife came, my wife's awesome. She came in at like eight o'clock in the morning and it was just, I'm just going to have to deal with it. There's nothing we can take that's going to be able to manage this pain. And I'm not getting another spinal tap because if I had to do that, then I had to stay in the hospital another 24 hours. I said, we'll just manage it. And I did ton of ice, took, took, took some pain medication and you just suck it up, dude, just embrace the suck. But also what I love, Ian, and this is what I love about even awful things. It's like, I just thought to myself, all right, this is a new feeling. I mean, pain is always pain, but pain is always a little bit different too. And I was like, let's just feel what this is. Let's just, all right, I'm going to feel this pain. So if I feel it ever again, I can know how to handle it. I know how to come. So I would just, honestly, I, I know it sounds silly or maybe it sounds like I'm, I'm retarded. Uh, can we use that word anymore? Is that <laughs> PC, right? But I, I tell you what, I, I just was like, you know what? Let's just, in, let's just enjoy the pain. And that's what I did. I just, let's just enjoy it. Screw it. I can't do anything about it. Let's feel every bit of that pain. And honestly, it got me through it, but it also, it kept my mind on it, but not really. You know, it wasn't a mind of complaining about the pain. It was a mind of, all right, let's just feel what all this, all this is. That's just, and, it, and that's what I did for the next 12, 24 hours. And then, and then it finally subsided and now I'm doing great. I mean, I'm able, I'm off my walker. You would have loved it. I'm, I got a little <laughs> walker. I'm off that. I can move, I can actually move around pretty well, even without my crutches, but I'm on a steel brace, you know, it doesn't allow my leg to move at all, flex at all. So um, if I didn't have that brace, yeah, I'd be, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to move. So I, so, but that's, that's how it is. I got five, six months of rehabilitation of, uh, of rehabilitation to even get full range of motion, let alone running again. But that's all right, man. I just, I've, I've learned to do other things, learn to work out, do other things, doing a thousand crunches a day in my bed. I watch a lot of TV. So that's not a bad thing. I mean, who, who gets to lay in bed all day? I really, guys, people dream of that shit. I mean, I got to be Dave Chappelle, you know, on, on a freaking, uh, what, what was the, damn it. I can't remember the, the Dave Chappelle, Jim Brewer movie with them. Oh, half-baked? Half-baked, yeah. Guy I, on I the get, couch? I get to hang around all day on the couch in the bed. I mean, how, how good, have my, and my wife brings me food and water and I get to enjoy life and I get to be at home. You know, I, I canceled a lot of the training that I had scheduled because I can't do that. The speaking I'm still doing, uh, but, uh, you know, my wife helps me get to those things. So it's not a big deal. It's, it's been honestly, brother, it's been a, it's been just a reset, but it's been awesome. Uh, it's not been sucky at all. It's just has sucky moments, but so does life. You just, how do you look at those sucky moments? Either smile at them or you don't. And I just choose to smile at them. That's all. So, yeah. That's and, and I know a lot of the audience has been, you know, praying for you and your recovery. Thank you. So Thank yeah, it's you. good. To, it's good to see. Um, as I said, there's too much to get to really in terms of men. I mean, the protests going on in Iran right now, uh, the internet being shut down in Iran right now, the stuff going on in Azerbaijan and uh, 
and Armenia, but we really can't hit all of it. I, I did think we'd hit this because this is definitely in our wheelhouse. Uh, and this really broke last night. Ohio GOP House candidate misrepresented Air Force military service. And this is from AP campaigning for Congress in northwestern Ohio. Republican J.R. Majewski presents himself as an Air Force combat veteran who deployed to Afghanistan after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Military records tell a different story. They indicate he never deployed to Afghanistan, but instead completed a six-month stint helping to load planes at an Air Force base in Qatar, a longtime U.S. ally, and a safe distance from the fighting. Majewski's account of his time in the military is just one aspect of a biography that is suspect and includes a post-military life that has been lived in a world of conspiracy theories, violent action against the U.S. government, as well as financial duress. Still, thanks to an unflinching allegiance to former President Donald Trump, Majewski once, this is so weird, man, Majewski once painted a massive Trump mural on his lawn. Kind of weird. He also stands a chance of defeating longtime Democratic Representative Marcy Kaptur in a district newly redrawn to favor Republicans. Uh, Marcy Kaptur, I actually one of the Democrats I've liked, but has also been there forever. It's definitely time to get someone new in there, uh, although not a stolen valor guy, of course. Uh, Majewski is among a cluster of Republican candidates. Uh, most running for office for the first time, whose unvarnished life stories and hard right wing politics could uh, diminish the chances of a Republican red wave on Election Day in November. So uh, and then it says right here, uh, this is a quote from Don uh, Christensen, retired Air Force colonel. It bothers me when people trade on their military service to get elected to office when what they're doing is misleading the people they want to vote for them. When you claim to have done what your brothers and sisters in arm, arms actually did to build up your reputation, it's a disservice. And it goes on from here. And man, it, it's always so strange to me, these guys who have actually served, they signed on the dotted line and they feel the need to exaggerate what they've did. Just like Senator here, Democrat in Connecticut, Richard Blumenthal, yeah. who's still in office. Um, I think, you know, the guy at the mall who never did anything and wants people to come up to him and say, thank you for your service and wear the uniform. I think it's like a form of mental illness. I don't get the person, though, that uh, actually did something. It would probably be respected <clears throat> if they ran for office and then has to say, oh, I was yeah. in combat. I, I was in danger. And it turns out to all be completely farcical. Right here. That's this. And this is why I'm, I'm not I am non-denominational that's not the word I'm, I'm an independent i don't represent any of the parties is because of this because of uh, say it with me now everybody that wants to be a politician ethics can, hmm. do we know that can we say that all right it, you got to have it and and we've seen that it's just on both sides now just as you just said it's not there you know and and i i show you one thing it it doesn't help, especially it doesn't help either party to have somebody that's unethical. But I, I don't think ethics is something that is a qualification now to be a politician. And I agree with you. I, I, I tell people like this and I do meet uh, other veterans that have come up to me and says, man, I haven't done what you did. But can I just jump in? We've had him on the podcast. Think yeah. about when we have Phil Labonte on and Phil go, I'll go, oh, you're a Marine. And he, eh, but I didn't really do anything. Yeah. I, I think people appreciate yeah. that humbleness because. He did do something. He did I don't, do something. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if he was in combat or not. That's not really his decision. It was when he was in there. And I'm sure if Phil ran for office, he wouldn't need to play up what he did. Granted, but he is a rock star, too, so he can play that. <laughs> can yeah, play yeah. that. But that being said, I am the same way. Guys, shut up. You you signed up. We, I know what that feeling was like when I was leaving home for the first time. That was scary. All right. And so that's a big deal in itself. How many people were not able to even do that? 
so don't, yeah, don't downplay your story. I like when Matty Waters, because he said that. So guys came up to him and said, man, I, I didn't lose my leg, you know, like you did. I did, but, and he always was something say, wait. And I remember Matty still does this because he'll say, guys, don't compare your service to mine. You did hard stuff just like I did. Granted, we did different paths, but don't downplay what you did and not be proud of it because you didn't lose a leg in combat. I mean, come on, you, you still did something great. And that's, you chose to sign up. And that's all you need. I swear, I I think we're going along the same lines here when you say that. It's like, dude, that's that's good enough. That to me, that's that's tremendous. Just signing up and saying, I want to serve my country, which is essentially you're sacrificing your life. Yeah, you may not lose it, but you're sacrificing the way of life that you knew prior to going in. And that's scary, even from a guy that's done it twice. That and that I'm not not. I'm just saying I know what those feelings are. Even the second time, it was still kind of scary going in again, going. Really? I already know what I have as a civilian. I'm giving that up again, which you do. We give up our rights to go in the military as much as all you all you activists out there saying that we have rights in the military. Eh, we, we, we have military rights, but it's not the same. But and that's the thing is we're giving those up. Be proud of that because you're giving your of yourself self of service. Man. So doing that. And also when you do that, all that does is besmirch whatever political party you're on. Granted, I, I, I think the, uh, with Blumenthal still winning his election, I don't know if the Democrats care as much. I, I I'm, and that's my perspective. I'm not saying, I don't even doesn't, Oh, I'm not saying he agrees with that. I'm just saying that's my perspective. But at this being said too, if this, this gentleman wins the election, you know, I, I, I in his district, even though that person is in, I don't know who that, who she is, buddy. Um, and she wins instead. Can you blame the people for not voting for this guy? He brought it on himself. And and we need to hold politicians accountable. The problem is, is we never will. We never do it. We, we And it's just not going to happen. So we're going to continue to see this. But as a veteran, seeing this, hey, knucklehead, kn why? My When I first was like, why the hell? Why? Why do you need to do that? You're an idiot. And now you're making the rest of us veterans look like idiots. And you're making your party look like a bunch of idiots. All right. I, I'm sure politicians don't need any more help to do that. And you don't need to just be smirch your veteran status to do that as well. So dumb, just dumb, 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 da -da dumb, dumb. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that, but I like Forrest Gump would say, yeah, I, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. I, and, and the thing is, I mean, I'm thinking of what Kristen Beck said last uh, podcast who, who ran for Congress at one point. But she was saying, yeah, only something like 1% of the population serves in the military. It might be less than or more. I don't know exactly. But the point is, like, these words that you guys use, uh, like pogue and all that, to civilians, we don't even know those terms. I think the average civilian goes, wow, this guy signed his name in the dotted line. That's good enough for me. Of course, it's great if you have better stories than that. And you were like, hey, I had this many deployments. But I think for the average citizen, it's like, hey, this guy did more than I did. That's respectable. So I don't know why you'd feel the need to exaggerate that. Um, and I would hope Trump, you know, renounces in, his endorsement for this guy. But we'll see yeah. what happens. Um, we have an email here sent to battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. You guys could always send these in. I, you know, I don't always get to them. This is from like a, a month ago. But I thought it was a good one. Um, so here it is. And I probably could ask Kristen this last week as well, being a SEAL. But I'll ask you, uh, hey, Ian and Chris, just wanted your opinion on the American Sniper film and your thoughts on Chris Kyle and his awful passing a long time ago. But really value your opinion. Was watching the film recently and read the book. 
would love your opinion. Lots of love from England. And that's Matt. You, people that just saw my facial expression. When no, because it panned to me because I'm the one talking. So Okay. Um, I, I'll be honest. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I, I, I didn't mind the dynamic with the families and such. Um, you know, I, I, man, I, there and I, I wasn't there at the. I, I, I want to always start this. I didn't know Chris. I, I, I honestly, that doesn't make a difference to me if I knew him or not. I, I know there are some guys that I've served with that did serve with him. I, there's been stories that, yeah, he, he did good things. You know, I, 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 I don't, I don't think he saved a platoon of Marines in Fallujah or wherever it was. But you know, I'm sure he did his combat. He did his combat with with dignity, and he did he did well from what I understand. Um, but you know, also there are stories out there, you know, the Jesse Ventura lie that he slapped Jesse Ventura, which we, you know, we're going back to ethics again. That didn't I don't happen. believe that happened either. Yeah, that, that didn't happen. <clears throat> and that was looked at as being a big deal to make Chris look like a tough guy. Um, and then also, you know, there's, there's, there's stories out there that, you know, he wasn't nice to kids that wanted his autograph too, that he was a little bit arrogant. Um, that big guy, so you gotta, I, I gotta take it just like y'all. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Um, I, I've heard things of him being very arrogant and I've heard things of him being very heroic as well. I think there is a, there's probably like everything else, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. No uh, one is, I, I think <laughs> no one is this putting on yeah. the pedestal of they're the greatest or no, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think most people are a combination of, uh, some, some good, some bad so assholes and you've got your asshole side, and your good side. Uh, and it, but the movie itself, because it has Bradley Cooper in it and it, because it, it, it really, I don't know, man, I, it, it is a, to me, it's one of the more sensational. It is to me, it's one of the more sensationalized of them all, but I do like the, the, I do like the family, you know, the wife and cause that's a big, that, that, that's true. I, I really believe that the, the feeling the wife has or when you lose someone, um, the story, Although, of, you, know, uh, you know, one thing I'll point out though, about the family stuff, it is known. I mean, I know this cause I knew, uh, the co-author of his book and he was living with that guy at the end of uh, his life I, or near the end of his life there was possibly a divorce about to happen i know that yeah yeah I, yeah and you're right yeah you know what we forget about that i remember that even coming out around the time the movie came out or sometime after with uh so i my i, I would rate it if we're and we'll actually we could probably talk about it when we have our big big circle yeah, next week i i would rate that movie honestly as a five out of 10, I wouldn't be one of the ones I would not recommend. I, there'd be much more, you know, um, Black Hawk Down. I, you know, I would also, the uh, Rudy's, the HBO ser movie series of Rudy Reyes, uh, Generation, Generation Kill. Kill. Yeah. We'll put that above it. We Were Soldiers, Once and Young. That's a tremendous, still a tremendous movie. Um, I'd even put, honestly, Heartbreak Ridge, <laughs> Gunny Sarge Highway over. But I just, I didn't really, I was like, man, you, you guys made this dude out to be some superhero. And I'm sorry, he, he wasn't. Um, uh, you know, there are guys that do super heroic things, but to say this is this, ah, this is epitomize what, what the military is. I no, I, I don't believe that at, at all. So, but that's not talking about you know, saying he did bad in the service. He, he did some really good things in service. And I know buddies of his that served them that said he did great things, but also the buddies of his that said, man, he could be a complete asshole too. I must get into third-party information. So all I'm putting do is putting it out there. And seals generally are good, just like rangers and so forth. We're good at taking care of our own. So all those guys that told me those things were all seals. That's their lane. 
that's your that you guys take care of your own and they do the same thing. that's the healthy respect i think that the different branches rangers and the different uh, units have ranger seals air force pj so forth when there is stuff that comes out that's a little bit too sensationalized or if there's uh or if there's misrepresentations or there's stuff that's uh that's grandized or it's just it's blown out of proportion the groups will take care of their own so me being a ranger all i'm doing is telling what other seals told me but other than that it's not my lane let the seals that serve with them let the seals that have served now let people like Kristen beck that's their lane and we do a good job controlling our own but that's also the healthy respect i think we have for the units itself but just as a movie side and eh, i didn't really care for it lone survivor was a lot better in my opinion yeah. <laughs> as I a mean, seal so i'll say on the other side when the book came out people really loved the book and the fact that it was the first uh like major book yeah. like that from yeah. gwat veterans and it was a it was a major hit and i remember that guy was he was like a megastar for a while going on opie and anthony and going on yeah. all different types of shows and fox news and um yeah a lot of people do love his story so i think you know you're going to get different perspectives on it we do have to get to suresh uh mad haven so before we do Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions yeah. is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. Just go to the dealer locator on the website. You could also buy it right there on fsm.com. Yep. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of this podcast, the yep. BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. And we're talking ammo. We got to talk about the best night vision out there. Yeah. Now you can have the superpower to see the dark, see in the dark with the Viper binocular night vision system by Photonis Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonis Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonis Viper binocular to help them become master of darkness. That's their trademark. Yeah. The new Viper binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonis Defense Viper binocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. And I know that this is what you're going to be using on the range, right, with yeah. your night vision um, classes. So. Yeah, we have in December, 9th and 10th, Battle Line, we'll have a December uh, night vision class. It's going to be great. I mean, if you want, guys, if you want to really, I know you all want to be the tacticians out there, you got to step up your game. You got to come and start using night vision if you want to do that. Uh, and, and it's fun. I, I tell you, people think that's same old stuff going out to the range, just shooting. When you put on night vision and start shooting, it just brings it to another level. And it's so much fun once you get done. So, yeah, definitely come out, come out to the battle line courses. But 
come out and try that photonist defense. If you have the ability to pick some up, get some the best night vision on the market. And by far that ammo Fort Scott munitions, ammunition, there's nothing even close to it, guys. All you old school guys out there, you SIGs, your Hornadies, you, you have federal, sorry guys, you don't even come close to Fort Scott munitions. I know it pisses you off when I say that, but it's the truth. So, and that's one thing we do have on the battle line podcast show is ethics. So, so we will always tell you the truth. So yeah. great so, stuff. So guys. Check out photonist defense guys. It's photonistdefense.com for more information or look for photonist defense product options from your night vision dealer. That's P H O T O N I S defense.com. Joining us for the first time on Battleline Podcast, Suresh Madhaven, CEO of 221B Tactical, former police officer, 221BTactical.com. You've probably seen the YouTube videos, gear reviews. You guys do awesome stuff with that. So I know you're a good friend of Chris. Great to have you on, man. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Uh, bro, it's good to have you on. Yeah, it, I, this is your show. That's why we have you on. We get in and you talk about whatever you want to talk about. And then I... I'll dive in every once in a while just because I'll, I'll get the I'll get my Oprah. I call it my Oprah questions. I just want to know. I don't care if yeah. anybody else wants to know. I just want to know. But um, yeah, bro, since we got you on, I, you know, 221B's been out there for for a while. We'll get into that. But really, uh, we, we're you know, we are veteran heavy, law enforcement heavy podcast. So dude, just start from the beginning. I, and that's where a lot of it is. And then we can always roll into another episode down the line. You know, you law enforcement. You know, you many, many years, you had a pretty distinguished career, but what made you want to be, want, want to be a police officer? Or was it some crazy story where you're just like, I got nothing else to do? Or you just were like, had a brain fart that day. Like, I think I'm going to go sign up and be a Leo. I mean, what was the deal? Yeah, it was a little, little bit of probably <laughs> a poor judgment, but, um, you know, it was, uh, I was in, um, I was in school to be a physician. My whole my my mother uh, was you know pushing uh, to have all of her kids. I'm the youngest. Uh, I have two older sisters. I'm the yeah. baby, and I'm the only boy. Can and, we just uh, say because we're politically incorrect here that totally fits into like the racial stereotype? I know. Right? I know. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, ah, I'm gonna be a doctor. Okay, so I was you know I got into a pre med program. I was you know, on the accelerated track for medical school. And I was going to school in New York City at the time. Okay. Wow. And uh, 9-11 happened. Okay. And after 9-11 happened, um, my mindset completely changed about what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, I want to go into the military. So, um, and I, you know, I had, you know, uh, the, I never had a dad growing up. It was only always my mom. Uh, my dad left a few months before I was born. So it was always my mom, single mom raised me. And, um, my, one of my best friends who lived a few houses down from us, uh, his parents kind of became like, you know, surrogate parents because my mom was always working. She was a nurse. She was working like three jobs and, uh, his dad was in the Navy. Uh, he was a CB. And, um, you know, he was a good influence. He was that good male role model that uh, I think every young man needs in their life, which is, yeah. I think, a, which is a fundamental breakdown in what's going on in our world today. Yeah. Uh, so thankfully, I had that. So uh, I had a little bit of that, that discipline and work ethic instilled in me um, as a young man. And uh, so when 9-11 happened, 
I was like, there's like no question. I'm joining the military. I'm going to fight the people who did this. And uh, one of my friends that I went to high school with that I played sports with as a kid growing up uh, actually uh, went uh, to the Naval Academy and then out upon graduation went and uh, became a SEAL. Okay. And uh, so I knew about that. And I always like, we, you know, I kind of talked, you know, to friends about it. And I read, uh, you know, Dick Marcinko's book, Rogue Warrior. <laughs> it was on my night. It was on my nightstand. It was like, you know, that was, that was it. Everybody. I hate to admit it. Um, but so when 9-11 happened, I was like, what the? Man, Dude, can I just it. point out, I'm pretty sure I see Dick Marcinko's book behind you. Isn't that what that is right behind <laughs> yes, your shoulder? That's, that's yes. It. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I was it. like, that's the cover. <laughs> I, I forgot it was there. I, it's funny you say that. Yeah. I forgot it was there. Um, so yeah, so I was like, that's it. I'm 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 gonna join the I'm gonna join the Navy. I'm gonna become a SEAL and I'm gonna I'm gonna go get these guys. That's it. And so I went to the recruiter, I talked to them, I got the pamphlet, I got all the information. And of course they were like, yeah, of course you, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll do it, you know, <laughs> and they didn't care. I could have been blind. They would have been like, yeah, you're, you know, you're all set. So, uh, I went home, I had the pamphlet in my hand. I, I went home. Oh, I was like, mom, shit. I said, I'm doing the Navy. I'm, 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 I'm leaving school and I'm not doing the doctor thing. I'm going to join the Navy. And she's like, what are you going to do? I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to join the Navy. I want to become a SEAL. I want to go like fight the guys who did this, like we were in New York city, the towers just crumbled. And uh, my sister worked at the world trade center. Luckily wow. she got out and wow. she was able to get out and escape, um, that day. But, uh, you know, I just, it was in my heart. It was in my mind. And, uh, so you're going to go fight terrorists. Like, yeah. And she's like, no, you're not. I was like, <laughs> I, was like <clears throat> I was like, what? She's like, you're my only son. You're my baby boy. She said, you don't need terrorists to kill you. I'll kill you. I will kill you. So I was like, and she's like, you know, a five foot two Indian woman, you know? So I'm like, uh, so she was like, absolutely not over my dead body. So, you know, I, I graduated, I got into research. I was working in a lab and I was working in doing some biomedical research for biometric company. And I just wasn't happy. I was kind of sure. floating around. So uh, one of my best, the son of that man who was the CB who raised me and we were, we were literally like, you know, two peas in a pod and he was my best friend. Well, he became a cop a few years earlier. Okay. So of course, you know, we're talking, I'm floating around, not happy. We're in a lab coat and he had become a cop. And I was like, how do you like being a cop? And he's like, I like it. He's like, you should become one. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do that. So without <laughs> telling my mom, I went tried to you know uh, get hired and uh, I ultimately did I get hired uh, as a police officer in New Jersey insanely it was a town that had never hired a minority officer ever in the history of the department and I didn't know that this because I mean just as a New Yorker I know so Jersey Shore uh you probably heard of Manasquan Point Pleasant oh yeah those areas yeah so there's a town called Wall Township it was in the heart of the Jersey Shore they were like, you know, the most squared away department in the state. And everyone said, you know, that's the department. They were write, write their own mother a traffic ticket, which we have. A, there's an interesting story about something similar to that. <laughs> okay. And uh, they were just, you know, the best equipment, the best training, the best everything, top pay in the state, six figures, you know. And I was wow. like, wow, that's not that's not that's uncommon. 
So I said, well, if they're the best, that's where I'm going. I'm going to go there. So I went and I applied there and, you know, I didn't notice that when I walked in the door to get an application, like the record screeched and like everything went silent. And I was like, they're like, this guy, I know where he is. You know, they wore the big Mountie hats, you know, the big Stetson cowboy hats and everything. <laughs> so I ultimately, I got hired there. My mom was so pissed. She didn't come to my, uh, you know, graduation or anything like that. She was just, she was pissed, you know, uh, <clears throat> because in, 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 you know, from where my mom's from India, yeah. In that culture, if you're not like a doctor or lawyer or engineer, you're homeless. Like, like that's what they think of you. You're like, you know, you're a derelict, you know. And also in the Indian culture, in India, the police are corrupt, yeah. you know. So yeah. like to, to have her go back home to her family and say, oh, my son became a police officer. It's essentially saying my son became a crook. Uh, and wow. they don't realize that it's different here than it is there sure so um so that yeah so that's how i ended up in law enforcement and i literally said i'm going to do this for a couple of years just to kind of you know feel it out whatever and 13 years later you know um but it gave me a i'll tell you what it gave me a great foundation uh not only as a citizen uh but also from the business standpoint that i'm now doing you know, becoming a police officer, you got to wear a hundred different hats. You know, sometimes you're a marriage counselor. Sometimes you're a child counselor. Sometimes you are a paramedic. Sometimes you're like, you know, something else. So during one shift, you have to wear a lot of hats and it really helped my social skills. It helped my, my communication skills, my, my learning how to read different you know, situations sure. and like know when I had to be up here or when I needed to be down here. You're talking to women, you're talking to children, you're talking to people from and the Asian culture, you're talking to people sure. from the Middle Eastern culture. Every, you know, oh, in this culture, in this household, I can't really speak to the woman. I got to direct everything toward the man. In this household, which is maybe more of a, you know, an American household, I can kind of split them up and talk separately. But you go to a household that's like Middle Eastern or Asian, you yeah. can't do that. Like you're yeah. not taking the wife into a separate room and yeah. speaking yeah. to her. You know, so those are all the things I learned as a very young man. You know, you're going into domestic disputes and I was 22 years old. Uh. And I'm telling, I, I, like, I, I didn't even have a girlfriend. I, I had a dog. And here I am trying to like settle a, a, a marital dispute, you know, and I'm 22. What do I know? But you, you kind of had to figure it out. And um so it was a good learning experience and it, it gave me a lot of building blocks to become an entrepreneur and ultimately, sure. you know, start the business. Sure. Did, did you find that um, at that time, the majority of the officers didn't have that skill set or weren't willing to learn the skill set? Being of different ethnicity, you know, you, honestly, that is an advantage. And I, I saw even being Mexican going overseas as well. I You can, because there are, just like you said, there are different little things that, you should do that can escalate a situation to make it worse. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, the white side, sometimes the white side, and we don't get racial all up in this piece, but you got to say it. Sometimes the white side doesn't get that everyone, especially if they haven't been out of their particular area. But did yeah. you find that, that the majority and the majority of the guys that I worked with, like, like Roan, like, like Jack, I mean, they, they got it. They would figure it out. You know, they didn't, yeah. they didn't go in thing. They didn't go in face first. Doyle rules hit hit everybody in the face you know, direct action they figured it out but there were some that didn't and that sometimes they made problems worse what what did you see as you were coming up 
with the different uh, people in the police department. And we're a lot of them willing to learn those little skill sets that you need to be successful and, and to get out of fights sometimes. Sometimes the best fight to win is not getting to fight at all. What did you see as you were growing up in, in the police department and how did it, did it grow? Did it grow and become better at, at dealing with situations or did you see it become worse? You know, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I was actually shocked at how, and I think another advantage I had was I went to school in New York City. New York City was much more diverse. Uh, you saw people of all different races and all different sexual orientations and cultures and ethnicities. So and, I, and was, if I could just say, man, the thing about New York City, too, and I've heard other people say this as someone who, you know, worked in New York City. It's like it truly is a melting pot because we yes. all ride the subway together and you could be riding the subway next to a, you know, black homeless person and next to a white multi-billionaire like it's it really is a melting pot it's not like it's very different than la where everybody is in their own cars why can't it be a a white homeless person and a black multi i'm giving of course (laughs) and then it could be like a transgender i mean it's literally everyone it's everyone everything this is the kind of fun we have dude this is how we are that's how we do that's Uh, a funny thing you you like like in new york like you saw, I was a young kid. I was a kid. I was, you know, 19, 20, 21. And we saw that everywhere. You're like, you just said, you're on the subway. You see gay people, you see transgender people, you see transvestites, you see cross dressers. That stuff has been around. It was like, <laughs> hey, it was like you just kind of like, you were like, whatever. It just, it's true. No one, it's become like on the national forefront in the know, past but, years. But if you're in New York City, we've seen it all. You've seen it all. You saw it every day. You would get, I would get onto the subway going home from class or one of my late night lab classes. And you get on the subway and the, the shit you would see would probably blow most people's minds, but you yes. just kind of became numb to it. It's a New oh, York yeah. city subway. It is like, almost, it's like a clown show. Dude, <laughs> I've just... seen, I've seen like a homeless guy blowing another homeless guy, like on the train <laughs> home from work. And I'm not making that up. Yeah, you just see it out. So you kind of just do like, yeah, whatever. So now everyone's like, oh, we need uh, transgender <laughs> bathrooms. You're like, what? Like, come on. This is like you, people. You, and it reali- you realize how closed uh, sure. minded and how closed vision the average American is. And then I went to this small town in, in, in like southern Jersey. And most of the people there, you know, they're all white. And most of the people were from that town. They played, they went to that high school, they played football there. Maybe they went to community college for a few years and they came right back and they became a police officer there. Everyone there was like an Abercrombie and Fitch dude, you know, white hair, <laughs> white, you know, white, blonde, you know, hair, blue eyed, whatever. So like, and then, it, you know, so they didn't, and most of them had never left that area. Most of them. some had, but most hadn't. Um, I, I'll tell you what. The, the people that I saw that had a deeper understanding were the ones, the select few that played college sports and played with black people because they had, to, you know, when you're on a college sports team yeah. and you have a black roommate, you're sitting at chow hall with your, you know, your black teammates, you understand a little bit more where they're coming from. You realize that, okay, they, they have different views on things and whatever. So you have a better understanding oh, yeah. there. But uh, the ones that never left that town, never played college sports, never did anything, you could tell they were like this. And they had that tunnel vision. And when things would pop off, 
they didn't have that what we called verbal judo. Yeah. They just didn't know how to manage it. They just didn't have the narrative inside of them where you saw like me being coming from New York City and going through the program I was in and having a little bit more, let me say, diversity behind me. I was able to manage those situations you a did, little bit better. You had more experience, but I, I, we use the word diversity. Fuck, that's bullshit. You had more experience behind you. I had more, more experience. Diversity is a catchphrase that we use that's popular now because it pops in political speeches and it makes people all ruffle up. Diversity is experience, and, and yeah, to, and- in my opinion. And and you're right on the football thing. I, I, I saw that when I played. I wrote about in the Ranger way. I had, and not because it was just African-American black players, just because we had West Coast Bloods. Donna Street Crips. We had Tongan Crip gangsters. Oh, wow. And we had guys from, I mean, it was, we were good, but we were gangster heavy because we were a JC out of Las Vegas. So all these, oh. all these kids, they're, they're all D1 players, but they got to get their, what I saw is I saw, that's just African American. I saw these guys that would kill each other on the street come together and we were a team. And to me, that was just so awesome to see. It's like, oh my God, these fuckers, excuse my language, but these guys would, they're, they're going to, they would slay each other on the street. And I remember talking to a guy, I remember his name, Chucky, tremendous free safety, probably the best free safety I ever played with. I go, Chucky, dude, how come you're not killing Stacy over there? I said, I don't, I'm this Mexican kid. Yes, I am, but I'm not a gangbanger. Why are you guys not fighting? He goes, he goes, he goes, we just want to win, brother. That's what he said. He said, we just want to win. Yeah. We, we, he says, I'll kill him out there on the street, but here we just want, and I saw teamwork. I was like, oh my God. I understand the importance of teamwork and how differences, even on that level, people put them aside, even as kids to win. And it, that was a, that stuck with me forever. And it stuck with me forever in the military. So I, I agree with you on that, on that athletic side, man, I really do, especially football. And we may, we got to yeah, get into oh, football yeah. too. Yeah. We got to get into football too. Then if you played, yeah, we got to talk about that, but we'll get into that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it really, is, and that's why, you know, I'm a big proponent of when I talk to young people today about telling them the importance of sports and, yeah. you know, some people say, Oh, I don't like that sport. And I tell them, you know, one, one component is the sport. One component is just doing something and moving your body and being fit. I said, but another important component of it is the social aspect and the social element of being on a team, learning to work with others, not making it about you, but making it about us. You know, those are some important things. So, you know, I talked to some kids and they're like, well, I'm not really into basketball or I'm not into football. Fine. It's okay. And I'm not saying you got to go become a superstar player and like try to go D1, but you play for the other benefits of it. And you start realizing, okay, this is what it means to be selfless and to, you know, actually do for the team. So those are some important, you know, factors. But I noticed that with the guys that I worked with and the guys that never had that, you noticed it too. Just like you and I right now can walk into a room and have conversations with a bunch (laughs) of different people. And then you and I can leave the room, reconvene in the hallway. And we can now look at a video of all the people in the room and 100% without a doubt, point out the people who've traveled abroad and spent some time in other countries and whatever, and who has never left America. <laughs> yeah. Because and, you and I have, we can, we have that ability because you hear the ignorance, you see it on social media and you hear people say things and make comments and talk about things. And you realize like, like in my mind, when I'm at like a cocktail party or something like that, 
And, you know, you hear, you talk to people and they're like, oh, in my mind, I'm like, this person has never freaking left the United <laughs> States of America. It is so evident. It is so evident just in their mindset and their mentality and how they're talking. But then when you meet someone who's been around and seen other countries and you're like, okay, this person gets it. This person knows that there are countries, if you, oh, the police here are bad. There are countries yeah. where like the police, well, you know, they do like horrific things to civilians in the middle of the street. Yeah. And, oh. you know, so oh, it's not like, gosh. yeah, you know, so you've been to some of the stands. And, you I, know, you, I've, you, you, I've seen it. I've got picked. I will actually post it again. I think I post a lot. I remember walking in the, in the, and I, I know I'm taking this from me, but I remember walking in the Mahdi district in the backside of Kabul. And I remember coming around the corner and it's, it's dude, it's such Indiana Jones. It's, it's so cool. <laughs> and coming around the corner and I saw this cop with his rubber baton. He was beating the living shit out of this Afghani, just crushing. I'm just, I mean, literally on, on the legs, not on the head, but they beat down low on the thighs, on the ass, on the, because the yeah. guy didn't do anything bad. He just, and I remember I had my, my interpreter was with me, my Afghani guy. I go, what the hell was that? I got pictures of the cop walking away. He's looking at me as I took a picture of it. Cause I'm, I'm pretending to be a, a NGO. I'm, I'm with yeah. the agency, but I'm, and he goes, he parked, he parked his donkey cart in the wrong spot. And he wouldn't move it. Oh my God. How, that, how about when we had uh, <laughs> how many Jassim on a few weeks ago, who as a 12 year old got like violently thrown into the police car, then, brought to a prison and tortured so yeah yeah but yeah and that's but that's you're, you're exactly right and you growing up and i'm sure you had probably stories or did your mom protect you from some of the stuff when she grew up did she not tell you those stories or or use them as a lot of i mean my mom i'm glad she told me some of the stories not to protect me it was for me to learn um yeah and, yeah and i know how, how did did because i know your mom is probably one of the, a wise wise woman did oh, she yeah, help yeah. help you with that or, or were you prepared when you left or or was she did she just keep you I don't know I don't know I, I guess what was your relationship with her and how did she prepare you for leaving the house I know we're, we're backtracking but I'd like to know yeah. because women like that are wiser than beyond their years I mean just tremendous my mom is the most wise woman aside from my grandma who grew up no. in Mexico <laughs> I, uh, but but yeah, yeah what was that like growing up because I know she was tougher nails too yeah. Oh, yeah. She was always she had to be mom and a dad. And, then, you yeah. know, especially, you know, once I once I started getting bigger, you know, uh, I mean, she's, you know, I'd say she's five two. She's probably now shrunk to five one. And, you know, uh, I'm, you know, now over six two. And I was like, you know, yeah. hundred and something pounds. And she, it didn't matter. She didn't care. She never it was like the poodle and the Doberman. She didn't care how big I got, how, you know, when I started lifting weights and whatever, she never cared. She still doesn't care. You know, um, she realized that she had to hold a line and she had to, you know, she had to demand that respect. And she knew because of her size and her stature, she had to use the thing that we see many people using, even our government today, fear. She had to use fear to control me. That was the only thing she had, really. She didn't have her size or strength. You know, she would hit me as a kid. But that, once I got to a certain si you know, size, I was like, what oh, are you crap. doing? You know, she you know, hit me with, that, with the wooden spoon. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't really hurt. So she kind of got that. But she, she took us to India uh, as children. Um, and she shared a lot of her story. She was a nurse in New York City. So she was a nurse in some really rough wow. areas. And she yeah. saw a lot of rough things. 
And she would share that with us just to let us know what the world is really like. Um, and it, once again, that was a little bit of fear. So she taught us a lot about those things. What she didn't do a good job, uh, what she was never like one to, you know, hug me. And, you know, I, I don't think she told me she loved me until my first midnight shift as a police officer. And I was 22 years old, I think. And I was going on my first night shift and she called me and she said, are you wearing your vest? I said, yeah. And she said, <laughs> okay. She said, I don't know why you're doing this job, but be careful and, you know, you know, take care of, you know, everyone else, they'll take care of you. And I love you. And I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, <laughs> thanks. And I like, literally, I never heard her say it, but so she was not that kind of like huggy, lovey sure. kind of mom, but she taught us about the dangers and the realities of the world. Um, she, the only thing she didn't do a good job of was, you know, really letting me know about like how people might look at me. Cause I never, when you're a kid, you don't realize you're brown <clears throat> and you don't look like everyone else. That only comes to light as you get a little bit older. You, so probably like after elementary school. Do you think that in, in my case, I, and I've got some old pictures, man, I look, I look like Vatos Locos forever. I, I, <laughs> but that was one thing with my family. They didn't, I, I didn't know about, that was not discussed because it wasn't important in fact, to my grandfather, my abuela, my abuela, it was never, Oh man, we didn't get what we wanted because we're Mexican. It's because, well, we didn't get what we wanted because we didn't work hard enough. And I honestly, I think that helped. I, I never saw race. I never talked. We never, because it wasn't always up to us and whether my grandfather, I know he probably did go through some racial stuff. I mean, come on. He's, he's, he was a, he was a picker that came over from Mexico on a work visa and he got a citizenship and later got his farm through hard work. That's what I saw. Do you think mm -hmm. that's what she was doing? Cause I, I, I think I, I don't, I, I don't think that my opinion, I don't think that race needs to be discussed when you're a kid. I, I don't, I, we don't, I, I didn't need it. I didn't need it. It wouldn't have done anything to me, but honestly, I think it to me, it would have given me excuse if something didn't go right. Oh, I didn't get it because I'm Mexican. Oh shit. I didn't get it because I'm this. Mm -hmm. Do you, mm -hmm. and, I, and I really believe that's why my mom and my grandfather and grandmother never said anything like that. They just said, Eho, work harder. Eho, you need to work mm -hmm. harder. You need to, you, you need to make yourself indispensable so they cannot not pick you. And, yes. and that's what resonated. Do you think that's what she was doing? And do you think it helped or did you, did you think you needed to know, Hey, I'm a different color or, or I speak a different language or, or whatnot? Cause I never saw that. And I saw my grandfather's one of the most well-respected people in the community he lived in. And I didn't really, I mean, I was proud to be Mexican, but it wasn't, well, we're Mexican. So we're different. It was like, man, my grandpa Joaquin, he's a badass because he's a grandpa. He's my grandpa Joaquin. It wasn't because he was Mexican. So I, right. so, but, but what do you, what is your opinion on that? And, and brother, you can differ from mine. That's just my personal experience growing up. And I'm glad I was raised that way. But what did you, what was yours then? What did you think your mom was trying to do? You know, the one thing my mom told me was, as I got a little bit older, she said, listen, you, are, you're going to be viewed differently, because you look different. And because of that, you have to do certain things uh, in a different way. So she always said, you're going to have to work a little bit harder, harder. Yeah. you're going to have to look a little bit better, 
You're going to have to always be mindful of your appearance. You want to always be mindful of how you speak. You want to be mindful of how you, you know, address other people and you greet people. And you want to be mindful of your work and the work that you do because there's going to be an element of people, not everyone, but there's Mm -hmm. going to be an element of people who are going to look at the color of your skin and make an automatic assessment. And like, that's the black kid. So she said, just know that. And once again, like you said, I don't know if you said it's your abuela or what said it, work so hard that they can't treat you differently. My grandma. grandma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, work so hard that it's just not possible for for them not to give you the opportunity. And that's what I did. And guess what? That's like the story I tell when I speak to young kids. I'm like, listen, it's not about what's opportunity and who has, you know, privilege and all this stuff. You work, work so hard that they can't ignore you work so hard that you are, they can't possibly look down at you and they have to see you as equal. And I had to do a little bit extra. You know, I was mindful. My buddies that like I went, you know, hung out with, like they could wear hoodies and like the, the skater shorts and all that stuff. I couldn't wear that stuff. I always had to wear khakis. I would typically have some kind of collared shirt on, (laughs) even if I was skating or riding around on my, on my, my, you know, my, my GT, uh, BMX bike. I always had, uh, or, you know, my mongoose bike with pegs. Uh, you know, I always had my, uh, my collared shirt, my khakis on. I always tried to look proper just because like you walk into the, you know, we were living in an all white town. I grew up originally on Staten Island, New York, before we moved to New Jersey, Staten Island, New York is the most Italian, Italian (laughs) white place on the planet. Right. It's like, it's like, and I was, and I was like, literally, I felt like the only black kid on the Island and then went to New Jersey. And it was even, it was even worse in this town she moved us to, but she moved us there because the schools and education, but like, I realized, you know, Hey, listen, look a little bit more squared away. That's it. Speak properly. Address people properly. Be respectful. Don't be loud. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be boisterous. Whatever. And she told me these things because she kind of was like, if you step out of line and you do those things that maybe some other some of your white friends can get away with, you're going to be viewed way differently than they'll be viewed. So just act this way, and you'll be at a higher level, and you'll be viewed as a higher level, and that's what that's how you want people to see you anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 I did that and it worked. It worked out well for me. And I said, you know what? Yeah, you know, and I dressed, you know, go to someone's house, you know, yeah. yes, sir. Yes, yeah. ma'am. You know, always thank you. Thank you so much. You know, someone fed me dinner because my mom was always working. I was always at someone's house having dinner. Thank you so much. Really appreciate Someone gave you a ride home from football practice. Thank you, ma'am. Thank really you. appreciate it. You know, all the things that like you're, you should teach your kids. I, my mom was like, you have to be like 110% on those things. And that's what made me the person I am. And I also got surrounded by kids that were also like that because they kind of gravitate toward each other. And what happened? Well, if I'm hanging around with the white kids, because I was only the only people to hang out with were those, but the, the, those white kids that were also very cordial, very polite, very respectful, had good manners. I started gravitating toward them, right? Well, what are their parents like? Parents were in the military. Parents are successful. Parents are squared away. So I had the 
the the let me say the you know through osmosis being around those parents i had that influence now put down on top of me as well and now i'm hanging out with those kids and those parents having dinner and they're reinforcing the good yeah. behavior they're reinforcing being squared away focusing on school focus on sports focus on this and it was just you know it was one thing led to another it was like you know good things growing on top of Isn't good it? things and that's amazing. I, I mean, that's that's honestly that's a blueprint for how every kid should be. It's not just yeah, not just black, white, brown, yellow. Uh, it's how we all should raise our kids. And 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 uh, but uh, you know, your mom sounds like my mom. It really does. And because my mom's a little lady, little Mexican lady. Well, she she was mean sometimes. Though she was mean, but she. she oh, my mom me. too. Yeah, oh, I love you to death. But no, that's that's perfect because I, I I completely agree with you. As far as hey, just always be better. I'll look better. Just do things, and not better than somebody else. Just do it better. It's I, I think we use the word "turn better" more as it's a negative. It's not. It's it's actually a positive. Work better yeah. to better yourself to be that person that says, "Sir, yes, yes, sir, no, ma'am, yes." That opens doors for people. Have some chivalry. Have some respect for yourself and others. And you're right. It does gravitate to you. And I have to admit that. When you are around the correct, I'm not going to lie and say that when I got in trouble, yeah, I, it was handled a little differently. It was uh, honestly, it was, you know what? He's a good kid. He's a good mm -hmm. kid. He just, he just made a mistake. Where if I know if I would have been that little hooligan gangster kid that I wanted to kind of be too. No, I wouldn't have been, it would have been treated a lot differently. Is that wrong? Or I honestly, that's just, I, yeah, I think, I think if you do handle yourself and, and now you're a police officer. I guess this can go into that realm too. If you're a kid and you come across a, a kid or somebody that you know that you do know in society that you do know in your area in your community that is just they're really they're good. They may just have made a mistake. Do you see that? Yeah, is it looked at differently if you come across the known kid that or known? I didn't say kid, just a person that is constantly in problems, constantly doing minor crimes. Is it handled differently? And I, I know if, if I was in your shoes, I know I, I would probably say, yes, I probably would. Because I know that, you know, he probably just made a mistake. Now, if he does it again and it becomes habitual, then we've got a problem. But yeah. what is, how does that handle? What, is, what do you look as, as a police officer when you see those things? Because that's when you're, you do, you got to put a different hat on now. Now I've got to be a more or less, a, 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 I don't know, you guys, I don't want to say you're Judge Dredd, but you're kind of a judge right there in the street more than anything. But there is a correct way to handle that, um, where you can't just keep giving the criminal chance after chance after chance, but you can give this kid that just made a mistake, you know, and okay, you made a mistake, buddy. I'm just going to smack your hands on this one. Just don't do it again, because 99.9% .9 sure he's not going to do it again, he or she. Yeah. But but I'm, that's my, what do you see? What how did, And how did you handle situations like that? You know, the, <clears throat> the thing that, you know, we, we see in the media I saw in real life, you know, I was out there in the community every day, you know, besides my days, my days off, but I lived in the community as well. So sometimes I saw those kids or saw those individuals on my days <laughs> off, you know, as I, you know, went grocery shopping or went to the gym. Um, but being there every day for 13 years, you literally saw kids who, when you, the first time you saw them, they were seven. And by the time I left, they were almost old enough to drink, you know? So you saw that, you saw the progression. Um, the one thing you can't get away with in a town like that when you're seeing these kids every day is 
you can't as a parent say when your kid gets in trouble, my kid's a good kid. You're like, no, I've been here for 13 years. <laughs> I've been dealing with your kid since he was nine. And now he's 16 and he's still doing stupid shit. And so don't tell me, like you see on the news, oh, he was a good kid. I don't know. No, I know he's not a good kid. I've dealt with him for years. And I, it started out with him at eight or nine years old giving you shit because he didn't want to go to school. And then it progressed to him cutting school a couple of years later. And then it progressed to him being caught in the woods with, you know, some friends doing some stuff they couldn't. And then it progressed to, you know, being a, at a party with underage drinking. And then it progressed to this. And then finally it progresses to something where they're involved in a break-in. And they're like, and you, you, you call the parents and they come there and they're like, Oh, so, you know, my kid's a good kid. You know, this is, you know, I don't understand. Like, no, your kid is not a good kid. Your kid has been a bad kid for years and it's your fault. He's not a good kid. It's not his fault. It's your fault. The problem with kids these days are parents these days. So that's what a lot of these people didn't understand. So like what I see on the news, you see, oh, this guy fought with the police and the police had to tase him, chase him, shoot him. And the parents are there with some guy, some lawyer trying to make a buck and the parents are there crying like, oh, my kid was a good kid. Put his criminal risk history on the TV. <laughs> Put the first date that the police ever interact interacted with this child and then put how many interactions they've had up until this point where he was ultimately as a 20 something year old shot by the police. You would probably, it would probably blow people, but they never show that. Yeah. They never show that. Now, the times where I run into a kid and I'm like, I've never heard of you. I've never seen you. You've never been in trouble. This is a very good thing. And it should end with me never seeing you again. And when, you know, once in a while, these kids would get in a little bit of trouble. They were like the outliers. And I would, you know, the parents would come in and we would take care of it. And yes, of course, if they weren't a repeat offender, they were a good kid, they would get a little bit of a slap on the wrist. And when they would leave, you know, I would shake their hand. I'd shake the parents' hand, mom or dad. And I would say, hey, no offense, but I hope I never see you again. <laughs> and they would always laugh. They would always laugh. And they'd be like, yeah, hope I never see you again, too. And I'm <laughs> like, I mean that in the best way. And the parents would always say, thank you. Thank I, you. Still, I, said, because- I, I still remember when a police officer said that to me in high school. When my parent, I was more scared of my mom coming to get me oh i was more scared of like holy shit and i still remember that being said in green i hope i never see you again and he never did yeah i i I just want to use that to roll into something else because when uh suresh when we were texting yesterday i i know that this is an important topic to you and kind of rolls into what we were just talking about of what we're seeing, I think in particular, the past two years, the defund the police movement, yeah, yeah. the hypocrisy <laughs> that we're seeing uh, politically um, from being pro-police and anti-police and some of the stuff going on. I know that that hits home for you as someone who was in this field. So, yeah, let's get into it a little bit. You know, it's it, it, what you see today is a pure result of a fundamental breakdown in the family. Now, the the reality is it's been like that for a very long time. Sadly, in minority communities, there is an abundance, an uncomfortable abundance of 
single moms raising children. There's no father in the household for whatever reason. Sometimes you have kids with no, no father and no mother, and they're being raised by grandma or grandpa. And I've met a many, many young kids who were being raised by grandma and grandpa who were now much wiser and were doing a phenomenal job of trying to you know, raise these kids, but they're not their parents. So it's always, there's always a struggle there. But the breakdown occurs there. When you don't have two parents and structure in the household, that's the beginning of the end. And things can unrattle from there unless you have a strong parent or strong mother like my mom who realized she was in a compromised situation. So what my mom did essentially was she had to play both sides. And she knew that if she got me from both sides, I would never quite realize that she was alone. So it was kind of like the lone sniper, but he just has two guns set up at different positions. And the person getting taken fire is like, wait, I guess there's two guys out there right now putting rounds on me. But it was only the one guy running back and forth. That was my mom running back and forth, you know, because she knew she had to do that. So, but that doesn't happen. It, that doesn't happen in most households. And sadly, it's, it happens predominantly in black households. And it's very sad to see. And of course it happens in white households, but the facts are the facts. And in white households, there is a much lower uh, incidence of the single parent household. Um, but uh, you look at that and you look what that turns into, and it ultimately leads to a lack of respect for authority. And that is really, people think it's only the police. No. These kids that don't respect police, they're not respecting the principal at their school. They're not respecting their teachers. They're not respecting the guy who owns the little bodega on the corner. They're not respecting the, the, you know, the business owner. They're not respecting anyone. So it's not just a res- disrespect. People, there's a, there's a, I don't want to say it's a misconception, but there is a little bit of an ideology that these young black men have no respect for the police. Guess what? They have no respect for anyone in authority. That's just the truth. It's not just, you know, the cops. But when it comes to the police, of course, there is part of the culture that is ingrained where the police are bad, the police are against them, police, whatever. You know, there is no, in, in, let me say, the Caucasian culture, you know, I've grown up, I've, I've seen both sides. I've lived both sides. I live in, in, I've had the, you know, the, let me say the unique experience of seeing both sides and living both sides. You know, the, the white culture doesn't have music that glorifies shooting the police and, you know, F the police, you know, that you see that as part of the black culture. And I'm not although, saying although a- that music has like transcended everything. I feel, I mean, I, I grew up listening to that and I know Chris did too. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I, oh. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, I listened to I li- listened to NWA. I listened to you know Ice Cube. But- I listened to Biggie Biggie Smalls. I listened to I listened to it all. However, I listened to it, but the 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 reality of where yeah. I was living wasn't that. I was living in a neighborhood. It wasn't a nice neighborhood. It was a blue collar town. You know, you had electricians, plumbers. 
you know, hardworking iron workers, you know, union sure. people. It was all it was all white people, but these were all people. No one had a new car. Everyone was driving an old beat up pickup truck that on the weekend they were fixing the carburetor just so it would work for the next <laughs> week of work. That's where I grew up. You know, it wasn't you know, it was it was a nice town, but it wasn't rich by any means. And they were hardworking people. So I could. Yeah, I could live in that neighborhood and live in that town and, you know, sit at a dinner table where, you know, a Navy veteran and his hardworking wife at the paralegal trying to make ends meet were giving me a meal, whatever. And yeah, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to the mall. And as I back my car out of the driveway, you know, blast Biggie Smalls on the way to the mall. All right. And then, you know, and then you get to the mall and then you're like walking by the gap in Banana Republic. And, you know, you're like, <laughs> okay, it was very, very different. But when you are, listening to that music and then you're also living in the neighborhood that they're talking about in the song and there are actually gangbangers shooting people there's drug deals happening there's all these things that are the reality of that music you're just listening to well then it becomes your culture it's not a song you're listening to that becomes your life and you become it it, it, it i don't want to say it engulfs you and takes you but you can't it's, it's all around you how can you avoid it so that's the difference that makes the difference. And you people, you know, a lot of people say, well, what, you know, what, what is what does that lead to? Well, of course, it leads to this disrespect and lack, you know, you know, not respecting authority. And then that leads to you have situations yeah. go wrong. Now, the reality as someone who worked the job, who was able to, you know, work in a part of our town that they brought in low income housing and that that section of low income housing was predominantly black. And then we had, you know, the the McMansions and the rich white people on the, the rest of the town, right? But and we had some surrounding towns uh that were predominantly black. They had gangs, whatever. So we we had we had little dealings with and we were able to, you know to experience what those towns dealt with on occasion. And the reality is this, you have this, let me say disrespect for law enforcement, this disrespect for authority that, let me say somewhat ingrained in them, all the police are out to get you, whatever. But you also saw the outliers in those communities. You also saw the young black men in those communities that when you pulled them over, hello, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I won't do that again. Yeah, okay. And you're like, okay, this kid is being raised right. Yeah, I don't care if he's being raised by a single mother or whatever. And almost always, I would come to find out that that young black man had a hardworking mom, hardworking dad, and they're, you know, telling them focus on school, focus on the sports, and they, ha- they had him locked in and squared away. Almost always when I met, met a nice young man like that, I was like, man, okay, this kid's doing right. Once in a while, single mom. And I would go knock on that door. I would knock on that door and be like, ma'am, hey, you're so-and-so's mom? Yeah. I just talked to him over at the basketball court. Yeah, really? What did he do wrong? I will kill him. I said, he'd do anything wrong. <laughs> he, actually, he actually waved at me when I w- drove past the basketball court. So I got out of the car and I went over and I had a conversation with him and he was one of the most respectful young men on that basketball court. And I just wanted to say, you're doing a great job. And she'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm a single mom. I'm, you know, I'm working a couple of jobs. And I said, yeah, my mom's the same way. I said, but whatever you're doing with him, you're doing it right. And they, man, that meant so much to them. A young black woman trying to raise a, you know, a, a young man by himself. That meant so much to them. And I said, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry. And look, I made it. I made it out. 
I made it out of wherever I was, you know, the situation I was in and look where, and oh man, thank you. Hey, listen, anytime you want to stop and talk to him, go ahead, talk to me, talk to him. So that has now become the secondary tertiary thing. And now it's the, the police are bad. We got to defund the police. Let me tell you something. I've never gone into a black neighborhood and talked to a black mother of children who has said, we need less cops in this neighborhood. Never in my life, never in my life have I talked to a black grandmother and a black grandfather trying to raise children, their grandchildren or whatever in a black neighborhood riddled with crime. And I've never heard them say, we need less police here. There's too many cops here. Cops are bad. We need less. In fact, they're saying the opposite. You talk to the parents and the mothers in these neighborhoods, they're saying, we need more cops here. This, this guy, that guy, those guys are drug dealers. These guys are gangs. I don't want my baby. They will say it right to your face. You go to, I, I've been to town hall meetings in cities across this country. And you would be like, you would think you're in the twilight zone. At these town hall meetings in these major cities, they are there because of 221B Tactical, I've been able to go sure. to these things where I'm donating, you know, when you make a donation to a police department, they usually do it like, you know, the dog and pony show at the town yeah. city hall meeting, you yeah, know? Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm sitting in the back with my, my, with my stuff and one of our guys to, you know, do a donation. But prior to that, you're listening to all the shit going on in the town. And what do you see? You see these black parents, like we need more cops. The crime is, this is not good. We need more police. But what do you see on the news that night? Defund the police, defund the police. That is not the people in those neighborhoods who are seeing the crime, watching kids get yeah. shot. Those, that's not the cry of those people. That's just a political talking point that is like, oh, okay, and now what's happening? Now they tried to defund the police. They did, right? And some people were saying abolish the police, the crazies. Yeah. And look what's happening. Well, you defunded the police, okay? Right. And, and now because you defunded the police, the police that remained we're kind of stressed and strapped. So they're all retiring, leaving early, finding yeah. other jobs. So now you have even less police. And then what do you have? You have crime skyrocketing. Stopping. And guess what neighborhoods are experiencing the most crime and the highest spike in teenagers and young black men being killed, not by the police, by each other. These neighborhoods yeah. where they defunded the police. So, like, I, you know, I'm not a conspiracy guy at all, but I'll tell you this uh, as, a, as a black man walking through America, I could tell you this. If I didn't like black people, I would have two ways to go about it. I could just go around and just try to, like, hurt and kill black people and, you know, whatever. But I know I'd end up in jail and whatever. Or I could say, you know what, let me do these little things here and there that will ultimately lead to the neighborhoods declining and they kill themselves. Because what's happening in these neighborhoods, Chicago, Baltimore, Philly, the number of young black men and women killed in a single weekend in these cities would blow you away. But it's never talked about. It's never talked about, you know? And this is all a result of this defund the police movement, the whole phony hands up, don't shoot, which never even happened. And the only people they're hurting you don't, I mean, now, now you start seeing a little bit of it bleeding out. Bleeding out the yeah. woman, the, the woman who was running and, you know, got abducted yeah. and killed, but you start, it's, it's seeing, it's, it's bleeding out a little bit. It's, 
not until the crime enters the neighborhoods that, and people start getting negatively and adversely affected, will people start screaming. And look what happened on Martha's Vineyard when they dropped 48 nonviolent people there. They called the National Guard. They're like, yeah, we, <laughs> diversity. We love diversity. We love diversity. We want all people to come here. <clears throat> National Guard, get these guys out of here tonight. Tonight, get them out. You're like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Now, let me ask you, if these same people all of a sudden, because of defund the police and you know all this stuff, if these same people had some gangbangers starting to creep into their neighborhoods and commit crimes, they would freak out. They would freak the F out. And that's the next progression that is, of course, bound to happen because it, it, it starts in the cities and then it goes into the suburbs. We all know that. No one's dumb. So this whole defund the police movement has had such negative ramifications on the inner cities and black people predominantly. But now it's going to start to spread. And this is when people are going to start now saying, well, whoa, hold on. This is probably now, of course, you have the president and these other politicians saying, well, we never quite said defund the police. Yeah. We said, oh, reallocate funds. Like, I'm like, come on, man. There's YouTube. We, I just watched a video of you saying defund the police. Now you're trying to say you didn't say defund the police. Like, come on. Like, are you, do you think we're stupid? So, well, obviously they do because we keep putting these elitists, the majority of them, these white elitists in charge yeah. that are, are saying that. I, and I, I completely agree with all that, man. And, and that's not just... That's just facts. You're all you're saying is is can be backed up with numbers. And if you can back stuff 100%. up with numbers, sorry, you, you you can say what you want about what what as sure as to say, but he's he's spot on. So how do we you, you being a law enforcement? This is your opinion. How do how do we get people to start voting voting for those candidates or or having candidates that actually are going to do what they say and fund the police and actually try to fix things and actually try to have ethics in office. I mean, we had a thing today where we had a damn Republican who an ethical stolen ballot. It's like, gosh, man, you're, you're just killing yourselves, guys. What is your opinion? And, and how do we fix it? How, is there a way to fix it? And I, to my the only way to fix it is to not keep electing these piece of crap elitists. But I guess the only way to not have this have it happen anymore is to let it filter into these areas that they live. So they yeah. can start yeah. exper- experiencing it for themselves. I mean, is that it's almost like the inflation? How do we reset and get get this inflation out? Well, we got to let everything crash. Well, then, how do we stop this defund the police bullcrap? And how do we get good good people in office that aren't these big elites? Well, we got to let all the crime start filtering into those neighborhoods now. It's like we got to let go set reset everything at ground zero. I, at really at, at zero, just let it to to start to fix it. But man, that's 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 hard to say because that's a lot of lives lost and a lot of lives that are going to go down the tube and it's going to affect of course the lower class more than anybody but yeah is there is there any other way is there any other way to to try to fix it aside from you out there talking other people out there talking are is there anybody listening aside from the ones that really want to listen we're not getting are we getting to the ones that don't want to hear it? are we getting to the the don lemons at cnn are we getting to those and I'm using him as an example because I think he's honestly, I think he's trash. Um, part of the problem are we getting to people like that that they need to hear it, but they're not because it's not part of their political agendas. It's not part of their their ideologies. Uh, um, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I guess I, you know it's, it's it is an opinion question. I'm not looking for an objective answer. I want a subjective answer from you. 
because I don't know what else to do. What else can we do? Is there anything we can do? You know, I I truly believe deep down that the uh, people like Don Lemon, they, they know deep down what is going on. However, because of where they work and because of the identity that they've created, they're almost obligated to stick with the storyline and stick with the narrative. That I think is the fundamental problem. I think the problem that exists is people who say, I'm a Democrat. And despite what is happening in the world around me, I have to vote Democrat because if I don't vote Democrat, well, then that's my identity. I've identified now. I'm so, you know, it used to be back in the day prior to the social media, you never really knew who anyone was. It was, it was like taboo to talk about it. And you would never like, you know, I, not that you were afraid of it, but like you just never really openly identified as I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative. You know, it just wasn't talked about. And it was, you know, it was, it was in poor taste to do that, you know, but in today's world, you just go on Twitter and you just, you know, spew lies and spew garbage. And it is so clear that guy's a Democrat. This guy's a Republican. So it's, <laughs> it, 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 but it, it goes beyond like insanity because people are now, because they're publicly identified to it, they feel like they have to now go all in. We're right. back in the day. I knew people who they were Democrats, but the world didn't know and their friends maybe didn't know. And they would be like, and I, I you know, I kind of knew because they were close to me. And I would be like, I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, and they'd be like, hey, uh, listen, you know, uh, on Tuesday I voted for Smith. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. He was, you know, I, I like his stance on this and this and this and you know, I was like, oh, okay. And he was a Republican. I'm like, oh, okay. So you voted. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you voted for the Republican. But no one knew you voted for the Republican. But because deep down, he had some principles and some morals that you stood with that the guy who was running as a Democrat didn't. So, but it was okay because yeah. no one knew. And no one knew. It was okay. It was fine. But now, if I am on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok as the, the Democrat, the liberal dude, there's no way I could cast a vote for a Republican, even if everything the Republicans was saying was aligning with what I wanted. I can't do it because now it's, it's public knowledge. I've declared it. So that's part of the problem that we have today. And so now you see people who they're liberals or Democrats, whatever, and they're literally voting for people who are making the place they live worse to live. Yeah. But they just can't. They can't bring themselves. They got to like defend this and they got to vote along that line. And it's, it's purely mental. And the people who kind of cross that line, they see what happens. Uh, Eric Adams, mayor of New York city, black man. I, I think he's a good guy. He's a retired cop yeah. had spent his career in law enforcement and he, he, he ran and he ran a great race. And, you know, he's the mayor of, arguably one of the most powerful city, biggest cities in in the country and or, or the most ha- powerful oh yeah so. probably the most and you know i know la's big, i don't know what the size numbers are i know everything's always changing but the second he when when crime started to get real bad and he got in front of that podium and he said one of the things we need is more cops 
People lost their <laughs> minds. People were like, what did he say? Well, crime is skyrocketing. Rape, murder, carjackings are through the roof. And he had the audacity to say we need more cops. And there were people who were just like their minds exploded because they're like, wait a second. I voted for this guy. And now he's saying we need more cops. They, in their mind, didn't have the sense to say, he's right. The crime is out of control. Like things are burning and falling apart around me. He's a Democrat and I'm a Democrat and Democrats are supposed to be, you know, defund the police and whatever. But although he's saying it, it makes sense. And that no, like people were losing their minds. And I said to myself, this is mental illness. This is mental illness because the ultimate thing as human beings is survival, right? Like, you know, I studied biochemistry. I, you know, I had to, you know, get science degrees for what I was doing. So when you study human biology, nothing trumps survival, that everything we do is based on survival. So seeing people vote and support people who are doing things that actively go against their survival doesn't make sense. And the only time you will see it change is when it directly affects affects, their survival. And, you know, I forget who said it. Uh, it was a, a, one of the, uh, a female, um, uh, she's like a political person. She said, these people, and you know, it was, a, it was a strong statement to say, but she said, these people, meaning these like rich white liberal people that live in their McMansions, they are not going to change the way they vote until it comes to their neighborhood yeah, just... and people they know start getting hurt, maybe killed, you know, getting their house broken, their children injured. But that's the only time it's going to become real for them. Other than that, as long as they're insulated from it, they're just going to keep voting the way they, they vote because that's who they are. And that's not what they did. It's not going to change until that happens. There was a lady famously in California. She was a big, big liberal person. I forget her name. I saw the story years ago. Big liberal person, whatever. Her daughter, her teenage daughter got, uh, you probably saw the story. Uh, she got hit and killed by a three times deported yeah. uh, illegal immigrant. Illegal. The guy had been deported three times and she got, he, he was driving drunk and killed her. Yeah, I remember. Killed her. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, she changed her tone. She's all, all of a sudden, she's not for sanctuary cities. All of a sudden, she's yeah. for borders protect. All of a sudden, out of the blue. Why? It took her own daughter getting killed it hit home and then she shifted. That's a sad point. Like, you know, I know a lot of people, they have to hit rock bottom before they change their life. Yeah. Addicts and all that people. It's true. Yeah. A lot of people, yeah. they don't change until they hit rock bottom. A lot of people, they don't stop eating those Twinkies and start exercising until they go to that doctor and the doctor <laughs> walks in with that pen. It's like, listen, you're about to die. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. And then they start walking around the block. I see it. And you know, guys start walking around the block and you see him carrying the groceries in and it's not like ho-hos and Twinkies. You see the broccoli sticking out of the bag and you're like, oh, okay, okay. Because they got yeah. that rock bottom diagnosis, right? So I knew a woman, she was overweight, trying to lose weight, boom, 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 nothing, nothing. I tried to give her advice, boom, nothing, nothing. Kept eating, no exercise, drinking shit, overweight, over. Went to the doctor because she couldn't get pregnant. Doctor said, you can't get pregnant because you're fat and you will never have children at your weight. That you would. Guess what? Guess what? Lost 120 pounds. It's Lost amazing. 120 pounds, right? So everyone needs that rock bottom hit. 
And, you know, I think that's where we are at as a society. It's going to hit. The Martha's Vineyard thing was a big deal because it it pulled the veil off the people who were literally when you when you drive onto Martha's Vineyard, there's a sign saying they stand with the immigrants. They're a sanctuary. There's a sign there. I don't know if you saw the sign. It's an incredible yeah. sign. Yeah. It's posted there and it's posted on stores there. And within four, less than 48 hours, th- those people were ejected to a military camp, you know, to a military base. So now people are starting to be like, whoa, hold on. That wasn't very nice. Like, wait, wait, hold on a second. So now people are starting to see the true colors of what some of these people who talk a certain way, what they really mean. You, li- you can't have a sign on your city hall that yeah. you love immigrants, you're all for diversity and inclusiveness. And then when 48 of them show up in your super wealthy place, you literally run for the military and have the military come extract them. That is like the biggest hypocrisy you could, like even, uh, it's embarrassing. It I, is. I want to make sure that we uh, get to 221 be tactical before we wrap up though. Um, so that's what you're doing now. Um, I don't want to go too long here, but if you want to give us some background on what you do, um, I've seen the YouTube stuff. So yeah, just give us uh, some background. Yeah. So 221B Tactical started because of me dealing with gear while on the job that um, so you're doing a good job on that. I don't know if you started at a full gallon, but it's pretty early. No, no, no. This was not a full gallon. I keep, I keep <laughs> oh, it in the uh, fridge. Right. I, no, do no, my, no. I do my gallon too. And I'm like, I do just about, closer. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, but uh, I'm usually at that far at around like 7 p.m. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. But, it, was, uh, it, was, it was down. It was down. <clears throat> um, so, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, I was buying gear and it was just like falling yeah. apart. You know, I was buying yeah. the big, big I don't want to mention any names. I don't want to do that. But I was buying some of the big name tactical gear that you know they made special pants and all this stuff I, I, yeah i know i know you, you can know? say you can say there's no love here for that that company at all they're yeah trash. You you're know, trash but, dude trash and, and i would buy the stuff and i'm working patrol and the shit was falling apart i'm like this is crazy i'm paying good money so you know then you're wearing like baseball batters gloves to get yeah. good, you know good, good purchase on your weapon and mm-hmm. it's a batters glove made by like nike or rawlings and of course it's not meant for doing car searches and stuff so it was falling apart but the main thing was I was hot and sweaty wearing my body armor. Yeah. A couple of my buddies on my squad were breaking out in the skin uh, yeah, infections and rash, rashes, rash yeah. on their chest on, and yep. on their back. And I was like, oh, there's got to be something. There's got to be something to you know fix this. And no one, everyone said, no, there's nothing you could do. You just got to sweat and suffer. So um, using my science background, I developed a 3D material. It was right when 3D printing was coming around. And it was a material that was exploded that gave you a standoff from your body. So your vest actually floated on top of you and let air pass through, heat escape, cool air in. So uh, I called it the max drive vest because uh, the first time I used it, it was in the summertime. And I took my body armor off for the first time and my undershirt wasn't wet, it was dry. So I gave it to a couple of coworkers of mine and of course it worked and then it you know started producing it. And uh, we got written up by this website called Police One and they saw us at a trade show, literally, drove to the trade show, opened the trunk of my car and put out a table and didn't even have a tablecloth, just <laughs> a cardboard box with these in them. And um, they, they, they sold out. And uh, this woman was walking around. She was from police one. She's like, what is this thing? 
And, uh, you know, it kind of looks like fishnet. So it looks like something yeah. that certain dudes might wear out on Saturday <laughs> nights at the club. And um, so I told her what it was and she was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And, and so then it, it just went viral. And then from there, I started saying, you know what, there's other things, gloves, uh, you know, uh, you know, base layers. <clears throat> now we're getting into more apparel for civilians and, you know, outside of law enforcement, you know, tactical pants, tactical shorts, tactical jeans that don't scream, I'm a tactical dude. Because <laughs> part of part of like what I always wanted was I wanted to go out, you know, I carry, I have things on me that that like, you know, the tactical ninja should have on. But I don't also want to walk through the supermarket or the airport or the mall or the amusement park and for someone to be like, oh, that guy, he's a tactical dude over there. Look at his pants. Look at his, yeah. You know, so I, ne- I, you know, I, I never wanted to be that guy. And it, it all, almost defeats the purpose because yeah. the truly, the truly bad guys are going to notice those yeah. good guys that are walking around. So I said, I want to make a line of apparel that's tactical gear that doesn't look tactical and also is high quality the tactical gear for the cops it's not going to fall apart lifetime warranty on everything so we you know we're doing the body armor plate carriers now all the stuff for police and civilians that to me when i was on the job we had a hot call you had to go to the trunk put on the plate carrier but unfortunately you'd go to the trunk and the plate carrier was you know, set to fit like a guy who's half your size. So now you're like, they're like shots fired, trailer, whatever. And you're like, oh, I got to, now I got to do the shoulder strap, yeah, yeah, I got to yeah. do the cumber. No. So I developed, you know, a plate carrier that adjusts in like 20 seconds to like get on fast, no matter what your body type size, belly, no belly, whatever. So those things that I experienced as breakdowns on the job that I saw nobody solving, I said, I'm going to solve these problems. And now we're solving problems for not just law enforcement and military, but also for civilians who I say are responsible civilians who want to be assets and yeah. they don't want to be liabilities. And our newest thing we just launched are the shorts, which you'll be wearing a pair yeah, soon. Yeah, no, I can't and wait you, to those, man. Yeah, oh, man. you know, and like people were like, people, like, it's funny, we got some reviews coming in and people are like, how did no one think of this yet? It's 2022. How did someone not think to make shorts with these features. I said, I don't know. I've always wanted shorts with these features. I never saw anyone. So I said, I'm going to make them. And that's that's what, it, like someone just wrote up 221B Tactical. They said, this company is like the Tesla of tactical gear. And that was like the <laughs> biggest compliment because we, we don't make the run of the mill stuff that everyone else has. And we just put our name on it. We truly focus on innovating and developing gear that doesn't exist in the marketplace, but there's a concern and a complaint. You go to any range, you go to any military base, you go to any police department, and you just sit down and listen, and you're going to hear bitching and moaning and complaining till the cows come home. So all I did was just started listening. I just started listening and taking notes and started creating the products to help solve these, these fundamental concerns. And once again, it's all about survival, right? Biology. Yeah. It's yeah. all about we want to survive. Our comfort is our survival. You know, having things that don't fall apart is survival, you know, being able to search a car and not get stuck by a needle, but also having the ability to also with that same glove, shoot your gun. Have the dexterity. Yeah, you got it. Protection protection and dexterity. Like a lot of times with these gloves, they were such crap. Honestly, the best things that I would buy was workman gloves. I go to farmer Mm -hmm. supply, tractor supply, and those were the gloves you'd buy because they were the ones that actually had the best protection and still had the best dexterity. So it's good. And man, and I can't wait to try, honestly, I can't wait that the, the anti-sweat 
Um, oh yeah, you'll love it. Yeah, the half, love the it. half shirt I used to wear to the, to the club, the fishnet half shirt. <laughs> I, I can't wait to try that, man. I, I mean, I, I, cause that's, yeah, it's something that we've, I've been sweating my balls off under freaking body armor for years and nobody, this has been tw- what since 1996, nobody right. has made it. This is the first thing I've seen. How many years? That's 30, 20 some years, whatever it is. Yeah. So I, I can't wait to try. And you're, you're honestly, brother, your, your views on, on the the yeah the Martha's Vineyard not did your spot on you're fucking spot on and it, it it's gonna have to come to those neighborhoods for it to change it's just gonna have to because yeah. they will never change and what I say though and I know we're gonna go here in a second we kept you on long um what I I say to the people because there's a lot of buddies like myself that protect people like that I used to mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. tell them like guys I know you need money but don't you see the hypocrisy in that don't. Don't give. Uh, sorry, guys. I I I I quit protecting. Honestly, I stopped doing prote- personal protection. I know guys need money. I I get it. I get it, guys. Yeah, yeah. But we we aren't helping the problem. Being that guy that w- w- we're actually being part of the problem because guess who that front line of defense is to those people that may need to see some violence. And I'm not condoning violence, but gosh damn it, I tell you what. The first time I saw violence, it sure fucking resonated in my head, and I didn't want to see it again. And I did everything in my power to not see it again. Um, But if we're protecting those people and giving our lives, why we leave our families at home, we're protecting these people that don't give two shits about us. All right. Are we still not being part of the problem? I know I'm going to get a lot of haters from the security elements saying, yeah, Chris, you're full of shit. No, honestly, sit down and have have, have an honest conversation with yourself, man. That's why I respect the police. I do. I've had issues with some on the ethical side. And that was not with their job. It's what they did off their job. But I respect yeah. the job itself and I respect police officers because they are. They have no choice. They're out there protecting people that hate them for them. And not all of them, but a lot that do. And they're still doing their damn jobs. So your your views, dude, and I love them because they're spot on. And 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 you say them a lot more eloquently than us stupid rangers and seals. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great so um, but 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 tremendous tremendous interview and I, I loved everything you said. And again, I can't wait, guys. Check out two two one B. They're part of Battle Line. We we're gonna re- we we're hopefully if we continue this relationship, we'll continue to rep them. So we're using their stuff in the field. I know Michael Billings used your stuff already. Yeah, so he's yeah. out there repping the stuff. And honestly, you have a contract with. Did you get that with UFC? Just we don't need to talk about it. Just did you get that yes. with, with? That's awesome. Yes. So you're yeah. out there. So uh, yeah. And so yeah. yeah. I think I think and I just I, actually I just talked I just talked to Jeremy and you guys have you, a bunch of your guys uh, have a little. It's gonna be Christmas come early for a, a, a few of you. So awesome. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah. So so, uh, so good stuff coming in the mail. Thanks, um, brother. So, yeah, so, yeah, thank check. you. Thank thank you for. Yeah. No, I, I was just everything. gonna say. For the audience, check out 221BTactical.com, 221BTactical on YouTube, uh, at 221BTactical on Instagram. Do you have your own personal Instagram or anything like that, or is that the best Yeah, place? My, my my personal Instagram is Suresh underscore actual. Do you? Okay. Have I, do I follow that? I don't follow. I think I just follow the 221B. Uh, I, I, I'm not really, like, I, don't, I, like, I kind of hide there. I, I, you know, I kind of uh, hide uh, there. And, you know, that's where I kind of <laughs> do my private stuff. But, yeah, Suresh <laughs> underscore actual is my okay. private one and um yeah you know i just you know uh, to me you know i want to get the message out i appreciate opportunities like this and oh, awesome. you know i want to let i want to let people know like I, I think you know ending on this note which is I, I know that i'm probably the worst nightmare to a big group of people out there because <laughs> they see a black man that 
whoa, he became a cop. But I mean, are you tight? You're, you're an Indian man. Like, would well, you... Uh, so, and so people say that, and, you know, I never met my father, but of course okay. people look at me. You know, I never met my father, and, you know, I don't, I don't question where he's from, what he is, or where he is. I don't even know if he's alive. But people, I say, and people, you know, there's two sides that people say, oh, your mom's Indian, okay. I say, put me in a street and have a hundred people on the other side of the street look at me and say, who do you see over there? Yeah. I guess, I mean, oh. I just, because you've mentioned black a few times, so I'm just wondering because, I mean, I'd say black in America doesn't really have to do with skin tone. I mean, like, iced tea is, like, pr pretty damn white looking. He's black, you know? I, 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 I mean, I'm just, I would see you as an I, Indian person, personally. I, 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 I in, so you might say that now that you know me. <laughs> And you no, know, if I, no, 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 no. If I saw you walk across the street, I would say you're Indian. You're, you're like the 0.001%. Like <laughs> okay. I literally, everyone who sees me, everyone throughout my life, everyone has always been like, Hey, okay. He's a black guy. And I don't take that, you know, personally, because there's plenty. I have people, I have friends from Trinidad. I have friends from Guyana. I have True. friends from, you know, all over the place. And they're all my complexion. And everyone looks at us like, and they call us those black guys over there. All those black guys. No one ever says, oh, look at that Indian, that Guyanese and that Trinidad guy over there, or that guy who's from, no one ever says that. I, I would be no in the minority because I'm, I'm being completely uh, genuine. I, don't, I would. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see Indian over in you, dude. But anyway, you know. But anyway, what's yeah, what the final point? A lot of, a lot of people. Because so so I interrupted your final point. So the final point is when you, when you know, living in this skin, sure. No matter what you may think, and you maybe you you have a little bit more culture, so you're like, that's not a black guy. <laughs> but the ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people who see me. I have to live as a black man. I have to go to the grocery store as a black man. I have to go to the library. I have to go to the, the mall. I got to go everywhere. I got to apply for jobs. And people are like, that's a black guy over there. So the, I have to now accept that. I have black skin. I live in America. And no one cares where my mother's from because it's it, in quick meetings. No one cares about that. But the reality is I've had to live this and I've become something that they want you to believe is not possible. A uh, police officer, a successful entrepreneur owning a multi-million dollar company that's you know now global, taking care of people and doing good things and believing that I have an opportunity to make the world a better place, getting going to college, getting a degree, you know, good job, education, own my own home, you know, things all those things that they're trying to say that if you look like me growing up in America, it's not possible or there's something against you or this thing in the ether that's going to try to hold you down. And I'm sitting here on this chat with you both saying that, I, yeah, I don't look like either of you, but I realized that I just had to be marginally better and work just marginally harder. That's all to get to where I am. I didn't have to do anything insane or incredibly different. I just had to be just marginally better and I got to where I am today. So it is possible. And anyone who tells you that, that there's this privilege that other people have that's holding you down or what, maybe, yeah. maybe, but that doesn't mean that you can't get to where I made it looking the way I do. And trust me, I grew up everywhere. I grew up Staten Island, Jersey Shore. Even when I moved around, everyone was like, Oh, 
there's a new black guy at the gym. Oh, you know, a new black guy moved into the neighborhood everywhere I went. And that's, and that's just the reality. And I accept it. I don't, I don't ever get upset and be like, Hey, whoa, wait a second. I don't know if my dad's black. He might be, but I don't know. And maybe uh, my, my mom's Indian though. I never, I never get offended. And I never, you know, I never take that stance. I say, you know what? Yeah. This is the color of my skin. I have black skin. I'm American. I'm on a Patriot. And I don't believe the narrative. I made it. And it's possible for anyone to make it if they want it bad enough. That's I, it. Honestly, I think you look more black than Barack Obama. So if that means anything, so shit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to say. And, and, and I, I get it. And I get it. And the value, though, is just, again, hard work. It comes down to it. It's hard work. And, and I love it that our families are compl- never met each other in the world. But it still that same resonation that came from my grandma, came from my mother, came from your mother. Work a little harder. Just work so they cannot not pick you. And it's amazing yeah. that they said the same thing. And that comes That's from it. two my two minority, two minority women that are t- toughest women in the world. So I did yeah. a great interview, great interview. And um, yeah, I I I, I don't know. I that's that that's all that's all fine. I don't got I got nothing all else, right. man. I just can't I can't wait for the gear. So tremendous. Yeah, yeah. yep, you see you soon. Last thing I wanted to say for the audience, of course, um, wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, be sure you subscribe. Uh, if you're on YouTube, we can really use your help. So comments, like all the stuff, um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Chris and I have been throwing out the idea of maybe as the new year approaches doing some sort of Patreon. Um, yeah. I was even thinking in my head of like that canvas behind me, that battle line canvas, not the flag, the uh, the custom canvas of the logo. Maybe, you know, for like people who subscribe to a higher tier, we could get new custom ones every month, number them, sign them, that type of thing. So if you like the idea, we're just throwing it around. We're not committed to anything. Or, um, man, but yeah, maybe let us we know. can work with 221B and get, I can get some gear from them so we can use that as giveaways as well. I mean, I'd like to Absolutely. work with, with you, yeah. obviously on the Battleline tactical side, but of course, anything I'd love to work with you still on an audience the same way on the podcast side of the house as well. And my E3 firearms as well. I'd like to yeah, really so, it, everything. Yeah, I'm just, absolutely. I'm, we're just throwing out the idea for right now. So, I mean, if you're someone who would want to subscribe to a Patreon, uh, let us know. It'd probably be closer to the new year. I mean, in full disclosure, Chris knows this, and I always am honest with the audience. I might end up doing something different full time in the new year. But if this show really gets to the point where we could bring in a good revenue stream, revenue stream in addition to YouTube, in addition to our sponsors through you guys on Patreon, that could change things. So let us know. Um, and that's really it on, on our end. As always, new episodes every Monday. And, uh, and thanks for tuning in. Yeah, That's Chris, all thanks, for this buddy. episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.